Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. I felt the direction of the Lord to talk to you about what we can learn from our veterans. I, I want us to honor our veterans, and what we can learn from our veterans. Matthew 24 and verse number 6 is where we're actually going to start today, but let's pray. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus, and God, I thank you, Lord, that we live in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. I thank you for our veterans today, Lord. I thank you for those that have served. And Lord, I thank you for our active military today that is serving. I pray that you would be with them today, that you would strengthen and encourage them and let them feel the love extended to them from a grateful nation. Father, touch me to be able to effectively communicate your word today, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 6 says this, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Dwight D. Eisenhower was president from 1953 to 1961. He received a letter from an eight-year-old by the name of Keith Eichen of Trumbull, Connecticut. And Kevin wrote this to the president. He said, After listening to the news about the Cold War, I am worried about the people in the world. In thinking it over, I have a plan. Let's get all the leaders together who want war, put them in a ring, and just let them fight it out. <laughs> well, I'm sure that many veterans of foreign wars today feel this same way about war. There are some things that happen in war that are so wrong and so terrible. And, and it's just, it's difficult. I can't even hardly put it into words. But the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 6 that in the last days we would hear of wars. And that we would hear rumors of wars. And the Bible said that we are not to be alarmed because these things are an indication of the coming of the Lord. According to the scripture, they are a sign of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We'll address this more later on in this message as we explore more out of Matthew chapter 24. I want to uh, give you another quote by General Sherman. General Sherman made this statement. He said, you don't know the horrible aspects of war. He said, I've been through two wars and I know. He said, I've seen cities and homes in ashes. I've seen thousands of men lying on the ground, their dead faces looking up to the sky. The words of General Sherman, I tell you, war is hell. World War II is perhaps the greatest of all wars up until now, and, and it's the worst war in history. 61 countries were involved in that war. 1.7 billion people, three-fourths of the world's population during that time took part. In terms of the money that was spent, $1 trillion was spent which makes it the most expensive war of all up until today. The human lives that it cost, not including the five to six million lives of the Jews who were killed in the Holocaust, is estimated to be 55 million who were dead. 25 million military and 30 million civilians. More civilians died in World War II than military. Which leads me to this statement, some aspects of war are never right. Regardless of war, we still have to support those 
who are willing to go and sacrifice and give sometimes the ultimate sacrifice on behalf of their country. I found a poem that I want to share with you today. I thought it was very fitting for Veterans Day. And I've called it the Veterans Poem. And here it is. It's a veteran, not the preacher, who gives us the freedom of religion. It's the veteran, not the reporter, who has given us the freedom of the press. It's the veteran, not the poet, who has given us freedom of speech. It's the veteran, not the campus organizer, who has given us the freedom to assemble. It is the veteran, not the lawyer, who has given us the right to a fair trial. It's the veteran, not the politician, who has given us the right to vote. And it is the veteran who salutes the flag and who serves under the flag. I know we've done this once before, but if you're a veteran here today, would you please stand so we can honor you today? Come on, let's thank them. Let's thank our veterans. Thank you so much. Today we honor you. We owe you a debt of gratitude because you were willing to go, you were willing to serve, and you were willing to give on behalf of this great nation, the United States of America. And from my heart and from the heart of Lakewood Church of God, God bless you and thank you for your service. Now, the church can learn a lot from the veterans. And I want to share a few things this morning that I feel like that we can learn from veterans. There are four things that I want to talk about this morning that we can learn from our veterans. Veterans. The first thing is training. The second thing is obeying the commander. The third is engaging the enemy. And the fourth is fighting to the end. There, you have all four of them. We can all go home. No, I want to expound on these because I think it's very important. The first thing that I want to talk to you about today is training. There's a, a very dear lady that uh, I've known ever since she was little tiny. She's almost like a daughter to me who is a Marine. Some of you have met her. I watched her as she grew up into a fine young woman, and, I, I, and I've seen her, and she joined the Marines. I remember the day that she came to us, and she wanted us to sign, you know, and all of these kinds of things to say that we knew her and endorsed her. And I'm like, I'm like baby, are you sure? Because she's like a child to me, you know. I said, baby, are you sure? I mean, it's, oh, yes, yes, yes. And she's always had this sense of adventure about her, and she's always wanted to go do things. And so we watched her, and she, she went in, and we watched her, and, and um, she went up to... Uh, uh, boot camp. Some of you remember when we left and went up and watched her graduate. and We were so pleased. We looked out there and we saw she was number one in the girls division and there she was. I mean, she just had it. Well, she dedicated herself to the training. She dedicated herself to the manual and every now and then she'd come back and she'd tell us what she's getting ready to do and now she's got to go for training here and now she's got to go for training there. And here just a few weeks ago we found out that she got her orders where she was going to be stationed and uh, she is in California for the next three years. We dearly love her. We honor her today. But I think about her when I think about veterans. I think about her when I think about active military. And I think about this little girl that grew up who has become a fine young lady who is giving her life in service to the military today. 
And I see the change that took place, especially from boot camp. I see the discipline. I see how she holds herself different, how she walks different, how everything is a lot more structured in her life. And I'm so proud of her. I could just, you know, the buttons could pop off of of, of my shirt this morning. But I realized that that didn't just happen. Somebody somewhere had to teach her how to hold herself, how to stand, how to conduct herself, how to march how to do these things, and all of that can be found in a manual somewhere, a training manual somewhere. Well, one of the things that we can learn as Christians is that even as a Marine or Army or Navy or Air Force or Coast Guard, even as they have to go to their manual as a Christian, we need to go to ours. The Word of God is our manual. Listen, if you don't know what to do, where to go, how to handle the situation that you're facing, get into the Word of God and find out what the Word of God says about your situation. Now listen, reading it is not enough. The Bible said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 15 that we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So studying the Word of God is paramount to living a successful Christian life. We don't need to just know what the Bible says, but we need to take what the Bible says and apply it to our heart and to our lives. Reading the Word of God and applying the Word of God are two different things. Go with me please to the book of James chapter 1. And I want to begin there in verse number 19 and read a few verses there. This is talking about the application of the Word of God. James chapter 1 verse 19 says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Selah. For the wrath of God worketh not the righteousness of God. Verse 21 says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Our souls are the seat of our mind and our will and our emotions. So this tells me that if my mind is a wreck, the word of God can save it. If I'm stubborn and my will is a wreck, the Word of God can save it. And if my emotions are flighty, if I'm basing my life on my emotions for Christ, my life for Christ on my emotions, then my walk with God will be as volatile as my emotions. I shared that with you last week when we were talking about living by what we know. How that it's important that we don't live life off emotions, but we live life off of the Word of God. Let me tell you something. Worshiping God and serving God and having a wonderful time and feeling that chill every now and then when we're worshiping the Lord and everything, that's wonderful and that's great. But can I say it very plainly? That's a bonus. That's a bonus. What's going to change your life is the consistent 
practical application of the Word of God Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday every single day of the week, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And you work the Word whether you feel like it or not. And that's what changes us. And that's what works on us and transforms our life. And the Bible says right here in verse number 21 that the engrafted Word is able to save our soul. So it can save our mind, it can save our will, and it can save our emotions. But then it goes on to verse number 22, and, and James carries it a little bit farther. He said... But be doers of the word and not just hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man that is beholding his face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty... And continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed. Somebody say blessed. blessed. Yes, shall be blessed in his deed. Now when the Bible's talking here about beholding a natural face in a glass, that's talking about a mirror. I'll share with you like I did in the first service, okay? How many of you in the morning get up and you look in the mirror? How many of you are kind of surprised by what you see? <laughs> Both hands. I'm like, that's not what looked at me 25 years ago. What happened there? <laughs> and so we work and we nip and we tuck and we fix our hair and we, all these kinds of things. And we, and, and we you know, get to shower, we shave, we do all of these kinds of things. And we look in the mirror right before we leave and we think, okay, that's pretty good. Well, here's the thing. In our mind, at 12 o'clock noon, we still look like that. But we don't look like that at 12 o'clock noon, do we? Listen, I work with some of y'all. I know you don't look like that at 12 o'clock noon. In fact, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you guys, you know, what, what are you trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. Let's spiritualize this thing so I can dig myself out of this hole that I'm creating for myself, okay? Here's what I'm trying to say. So many times we take the Word of God and we read the Word of God and we let the Word of God examine us and we go through that exercise of self-examination and then we put the Word of God down and we say, okay, that's good, and then we don't pick it up until Wednesday when we come back to church or the next Sunday and for some reason we think when we pick it back up that we're just like we saw ourselves the Sunday before. The problem is from that Sunday till this Sunday there's something that happened to you called life. And sometimes life can work us over, can it? Sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes there are things that happen during the week that makes us just want to lose our salvation. You're calling on the name of the Lord, but it's not in, in praise. And it's not in worship. I mean, there, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes the spirit of the slap comes on you, right? Pow! You know, I can't believe. You remember Ronnie Reed saying that? <laughs> Got you, Ronnie. What are you saying? Here's what I'm trying to say. If we want to be blessed, we have to let the Word of God continually examine us. We have to live in a state of self-examination all of the time. We've got to use the manual. 
the training manual. We've got to let the Word change us. We'll never change the Word, but the Word can change us. Well, I like the way that I am. Well, maybe you like the way that you are. Maybe God doesn't. The, the thing is, it's not whether I like the way that I am or not. I made a statement here uh, just, just a couple of days ago. I was talking to some of our staff, and I told them, I said, listen, I said, when it comes to, and we were talking about a particular subject, I said, we don't necessarily give to the church what we like. We give them what they need. That's the difference between a, a, a real leader and someone that's just trying to lead. Is you got to know where the people are. You got to help them grow. As a leader, God helps you see where people need to go, not so you can find fault with them where they are, but so you can go to where they are and take them and gently lead them in a non condemning way to where God wants them to be. And the Word of God, the Word of God is a help in that area. So reading the Word of God, understanding the Word of God, and the practical application of the Word of God are two different things. Second thing that I want to share with you that we can learn from our veterans is that we need to learn to obey our commander. A blowhard Air Force major was promoted to colonel and got a new office. The first morning he was in his new office, an airman knocked on the door and asked to speak to him. The colonel Feeling the urge to impress the young airman, picked up his phone and began talking. Yes, General, thank you. Yes, I will pass that information along to the President this morning. Yes, goodbye, sir. Then turning to the airman, he barked and said, What do you want? Nothing important, sir, said the airman. I just came to hook up your phone. <laughs> it's taken a minute. <laughs> See, here's, here's the principle. Some people have authority and some just pretend to have authority. Some people have authority and some just want to be in authority. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and verse number 4 that we are to endure hardness as a good soldier, here we go, of Jesus Christ. That tells me that the commander is Jesus Christ. That tells me that I get my marching orders as a Christian soldier. I get my marching orders from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Can I talk to you for just a few moments this morning and tell you that the Bible tells us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we would show forth the praises of Him who has called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So we are chosen by God to be a soldier. God didn't make a mistake when He had you born in this generation. God didn't make a mistake by putting you with the parents that He put you with. God didn't make a mistake by bringing you to this church. God didn't make a mistake by allowing me to be the pastor over you and over this church. God did not make a mistake. He didn't make a mistake. He knew who you, He knows who you are. He knows the very hairs of your head according to the book of Psalms. And the Bible said that He knows His sheep by name. And the Bible teaches us that He has chosen you to be a soldier. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go there. Ephesians chapter 1. 
verses 19 through 23. I want to share this with you. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23 says this. What is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him up from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, and hath put Him, that's speaking of Jesus, and hath put all things under His feet and gave Him, Jesus Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. So what this scripture is teaching us is that God exalted Jesus, seated Him at the right hand of the Father, which topographically is a position of power and authority, and gave Him the name which is His authority, and made Him to be the head over the church which is His body, and we are the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of called out ones. So we are the church that is connected to the head who is our commander-in-chief who receives orders from the Heavenly Father. Therefore, we are the eyes of God, the hands of God, the feet of God, the ears of God, the mouth of God. We carry the compassion of God inside of our heart and inside of our life. And whatever God wants to do in the earth today, He does it through us. If we obey the commander. I just don't know why God won't use me. Well, He's been trying to for years. Well, I just don't see how that is. Well, you have your idea of what God wants to do through you and God has His idea of what He wants to do through you. When I was evangelizing for eight years early on, I said for years, I'll never be a pastor. I'm going to travel. I'm going to preach revivals. I'm going to have world crusades. I'll never ever be able, I said that over and over and over again. Then I got married. Then she got pregnant. Then I started hearing things like, I can't take two babies into a house. I don't even know the people. I don't care if they're pastors or not. Then I started looking over there in the passenger side of the car and it was empty again. And one day I came home and Susie looked at me, little tiny thing, crawled up in my lap and put one hand on this cheek and one hand on the other and she pulled my face around where she was looking at me. She had cross eyes back then so she was kind of like this. She said, John, where's daddy at? The next week, I was in the state overseer's office saying, I said I'd never be a pastor, but I need a church. So through the process of time, God allowed us to pastor our first church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri in the early 90s. Third thing that we can learn from our veterans is to engage our enemy. Listen to me very closely. If you don't hear anything else I say today, please, church, listen to, listen to me. Listen. 
we got to learn to identify the right enemy. And the person sitting beside you is not your enemy. The person in front of you, the person behind you is not your enemy. The church is the only army in the world that kills its own wounded. Some of the meanest people I have ever met in my life go to church. They call themselves Christians. And they bite and they fight and they devour one another and they talk bad about each other and they betray each other and they walk with hatred in their hearts and they wonder why the lost doesn't want to come to church. They can get that at their workplace. If the church doesn't offer a viable difference, we proclaim to have the love of Christ. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening right now. We proclaim to have the love of Christ. We say we have the answer to the world. We tell people that Jesus is the answer. But when they come to church, they get more abused than they do on the assembly line when they go to work every day. I'm, I'm trying to preach hard, Esther. I I'm trying to preach good. As Christians, we're at war, but we're not at war with one another. We're not at war with one another. When we fight one another, we are helping the enemy. Here's what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 12, it says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, the Bible says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, your adversary the devil, your adversary... Come on, I, I gotta know you got this. Your adversary, the devil. the devil, as a roaring lion, goes around seeking whom he may devour. What if, what if God's church got together and took all of that energy that they have used to war against one another for whatever reason and channeled it toward the devil? What do you think would happen? I'll tell you what would happen. We'd have the most stupendous revival the world has ever... You talk about a global great awakening. My goodness, we would have a global great awakening. The Bible says that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. We are to study the way that he tries to attack us. We, and the Bible says we're not ignorant. That means unlearned of Satan's devices. An old deacon who used to pray every... Uh, Wednesday night at prayer meetings always concluded his prayer the same way. And he would say, at the end of his prayer, he'd say, Oh Lord, clean all the cobwebs out of my life. Finally, this young guy, he got so tired of hearing that same old thing over and over and over again. And finally, that old deacon, he got up and he said, Lord, just clean all the cobwebs out of my life. And that young guy jumped up. He said, No, Lord, no, just kill the spider. Sometimes we're focused on the cobwebs instead of what caused the cobwebs. Right? The real enemy. Who is Satan? We all have cobwebs in our life, but the real enemy is Satan, and we need to fight against him. 
How do we do that? We do that through the Word of God. We do that through prayer. We do that through Christian fellowship. We do that through protecting our environment by creating an atmosphere where we can spiritually grow through giving, through serving. The Bible said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-10, through 10, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, he'll make you perfect, establish you, strengthen you, and my favorite word there is he'll settle you. Ooh, I like to be settled, don't you? I just like to be settled. And the last thing we can learn from our veterans today that I want to point out is this. we got to learn how to fight to the end. No matter what comes, no matter what goes, no matter what, what we're going through, no matter what the enemy throws at us, we just got to keep on fighting. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, the Bible tells us that in the last days that we would be hated of all men for Christ's sake. And it goes on and it says, But he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. Listen, I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but I want to tell you something. Things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse for the Christian. That's why we have to know in whom we have believed and we got to know who we have believed. That's why we got to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's why we got to put our feet rooted and grounded in the Word of God and make sure that we are rooted and grounded in the Word and on personal emotions. Because when the enemy comes and hits us, and he's going to, he's going to hit us harder than he's ever hit us before in the days ahead. He's going to hit us politically. He's going to hit us economically. He'll hit us physically. He's going to try to rob this nation, the enemy will do anything that he can to stop us. But we've got to say, you know what? Here I stand, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So fight the good fight of faith. I want to encourage you today to fight the good fight of faith. And when people start hating you for the cause of Christ, just realize that's par for the course. Because the Bible said, that it would happen in the last days. Now, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 24. I want to share just a few scriptures over here. We're, we're getting there. Here's what the Bible says. Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came unto Him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in My name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Talking about the last days. That's happening, isn't it? You know what that... I don't have really have a whole lot of time to get into that, but, but Christ means the anointed one and His anointing. So basically what that is saying is in the last days there's going to be a whole bunch of people popping up saying, hey, I am anointed. That's what it's going to say. And the Bible said they'll deceive many. Now they can speak in tongues. They can prophesy. They can you know, simulate miracles. Well, how can they simulate a miracle? Well, if the enemy throws something on you and then just lifts it, it looks like a miracle. Okay? I don't have time to get into that. But the Bible said in the last days men will come saying, I'm Christ, or saying, I'm anointed, and will deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places or many places and all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now look at verse number 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. That's not all nations except America. That's not all nations except Israel. The Bible said you would be hated of all nations for my name's sake. There is coming a time very shortly when it is not going to be as popular as it is in America today to be a Christian. We say we are a Christian nation and we are. We were founded on Christian Judeo principles. And so we are a Christian nation who has its roots in the Christian Judeo culture and teachings. But I can tell you from experience... I preached my first message 40 years ago at 8 years old. Now you know how old I am. And I can tell you when I was a teenager and in my early 20s and even up to around 30, it was fairly popular to be a minister. But you go out here now and people say, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a preacher, I'm a minister. All of a sudden they're immediately cautious of you. The tide is turning. And the Bible said... Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, we hear a whole lot about nation rising against nation. We hear a whole lot about rumors of wars. We, we hear a lot about all of these things, famines, pestilence, earthquakes and diverse places and people just say, well, it's a sign of the times the Lord's going to come. But we're getting ready to wade into something here that I don't think that, that the church has paid very much attention to, although they've been practicing it for a long time. A sign of the last days, as the Bible said, and then shall many be offended. Don't shout me down. Come on, this is the 11 o'clock service. You guys are supposed to be a little more rowdy than the 9 o'clock service. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. I am so sick. Well, I'm offended. I'm offended. I'm Grow up. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I have never heard anybody say, well, I'm not going to be in the world because I'm world hurt. They'll say, I'm not going to church because I'm church hurt. Well, what about being world hurt? Who offended you in the world? Who betrayed you in the world? Who did you dirty? Who did you wrong in the world? Why don't you rush to the church because you got world hurt? I've never seen the like of it in my life. Well, I'm offended. I'm going to hit the door and take my tithe with you. Bye! Not a button on my coat for sale. I love you dearly, but I'm not for sale. I will not compromise the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to gain one person in attendance. I will preach without fear, without favor, the message of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We got to lose this offended culture in the church today. Preachers won't preach about, the, about sin. They won't stand in the pulpit and say, that's wrong, don't do it, because they know that about 30 people in the congregation is doing it and they might leave. They might get up and hit the altar too. I love you. Many shall be offended. It's a sign of the last times. And then the Bible said, and they'll betray one another. I've never seen betrayal like it is today. 
people splitting churches. It's happening. I mean, it, it's happened here, but let me tell you something. This isn't my first rodeo. It's happened to us more than once. People going off and a year or two later, oh, thank God for my harvest. Thank God. They're not your harvest. You split a church. You stole some sheep. That's not your harvest. And it won't last. It won't last. You, you say, well, Pastor, you're, you're, you're just being hard. No, I'm addressing betrayal. There are people that betray you in your life. And then they want access back into your life. L listen to me very closely, okay? Forgiveness and pardon are two different things. God has called us to forgive, but He has not called us to pardon. They are not the same thing. Pardon is letting them off the hook and not holding them accountable. Forgiveness is for you. I forgive you. I realize that what happened was not right. I'm not going to let it hold me bound up any longer, but I'm also not going to give you access back into my life so you can turn around and do it again because God didn't birth no dummy. Preach. I am. Forgiveness and pardon are not the same thing. And the Bible says in the last days you'll be betrayed. What are you saying, Pastor? Fight through it. Fight through it. Fight through the offense. Fight through the betrayal. Honey, not everybody's going to treat you right for the rest of your life. So many people are so focused on what's happening right now. Oh, if I can just get past this, everything will be wonderful from then on. No, what's going to happen is you're going to get past this and something else is going to happen. You know why? Because the devil is smart and he tries to figure out what works and then he, when he finds out what works, that's where he drives a nail and every time he gets a chance, he just hits it again with a hammer. What you've got to do is learn how to get so tough that when he tries to drive the nail that it just bends the nail. Ooh, yeah. And then the Bible said, and then the Bible said here, many will be offended, many will be, betray one another and they'll hate one another. They'll hate one another. Can I say this boldly? I've been here for almost seven years. If you don't want to be here, go down the street to a church where you would like to be. But when you go, you don't have to hate me. And I don't have to hate you. I realize that it's different strokes for different folks. And not everybody's going to be happy at Lakewood. But the truth is, according to our history, since I've been here anyway, more people are happy than are. Thank you, Lord. Many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And then the Bible says this, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Look at verse number 13. But he that shall Endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I'm trying to finish. I, I knew this was going to be a little bit longer message today. We're called to fight a war. We're not called to sit around and gripe about what we don't like in life or in church. 
We're called to fight. A young recruit turned his nose up at the army stew and complained to the mess sergeant. He said, I don't like this stew. Don't I have any choice here? And the sergeant replied, certainly, soldier. Take it or leave it. (laughs) After the deliverance at Dunkirk, Churchill rallied Britain with his most memorable speech. He said this, we'll fight on the beaches. We'll fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. John Stuart Mill was a philosopher from London, England who died in 1873. And he said this, War is ugly, but it's not the ugliest of things. He said the decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling is worse than war. The person who has nothing for which he is willing to fight is a miserable creature. I submit to you today in closing that there are many things worth fighting for. First of all, America is worth fighting for. Amen. And I want to say to you today, to those of you that are veterans, thank you for giving us the opportunity to do what we're doing today for the freedom of speech, for the freedom of religion. But church, I want to tell you something. That's not the only front we need to be fighting on. The church needs to rise up and let her voice be heard. We need to kneel down in prayer and let God hear us. For the Bible still says in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse number 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. And I still believe that God's word is true and I believe that he'll heal us. Don't you? Hallelujah. So there's some things worth fighting for. America, and the last thing that's worth fighting for is our freedom in Jesus Christ. Fighting for the word of God. And the right to declare it. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.